Good morning. It's a blessing to be back here with you all uh, on today uh, to share God's word with you. As we made it here to this day, you know, I, I sort of th- I thought about this and I said I should have went first, uh, so I didn't get this one. Uh, but but this this is an extremely important message that uh, we all need to discuss and that we we need to take serious in our time. Um, so I want to do something. Uh, I want to do two things this morning. I want to make sure first that you all remember Scott's email address. And I want you <laughs> to uh, also open your Bible with me. Open your Bible with me. And I don't have this up on the screen, uh, uh, this scripture up on the screen, but I, because I wanted you guys to open your Bible, uh, whether it be the, the, the physical paper copy or the app, and turn with me to Song of Solomon. Our Song of Songs, chapter 7. Turn there with me. It's okay to look at the table of contents. Okay. Say amen when you're there. Say hold on if you're not there. All right. So as you're still turning, I want to just open up and tell you what this is talking about, right? Uh, Most people believe that this here is the work of Solomon. Right, um, and they believe that this is a conversation between him and his wife. Some people think that this thing is an allegory about the church and God's relationship with each other. But as I read this and as I looked at it in the original language, it didn't seem like an allegory to me because it's, it's pretty steamy stuff. Right, pretty hot. Let's look at this right here. Chapter seven, verse number one. This is, they're, they're going back and forth. The man speaks and the woman speaks. And, and the man says, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter. Now, you may not think much of this, okay? But I need you to understand what he's talking about here. Right now, he is trying to woo his woman, right? Wives, do y'all remember when your husband wooed you? Do you remember that? You remember whenever he used to court you? And husbands are like, hey, be careful. Right now he's saying, listen, I know that you notice me noticing you, but I got to let you know that your feet sure make those sandals look good. (laughs) Old daughter of a prince. And it's a term of endearment. He's saying, look, darling, good looking, whatever area you're from, there's a term of endearment that you use. Hey, little mama, might be one. Your feet sure make those sandals look good. He continues on by saying, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. He's laying it on thick, isn't he? Right? Now, some versions say something about the legs being straight, but I need you to understand the Hebrew says curved upper thighs. Right? And I know this because when I looked at the word, this is also the word that they used when they were talking about, y'all remember Jacob? Right? And he got into that wrestling match. What happened to him? That hip, it's that same word, right? And this guy in Song of Solomon is saying, the curve of that upper portion of your body right there, it's like an ornament. I can't stop looking. And he says, it must be the work of a master craftsman. He said, when God made you, he broke the mold. 
Yeah, you didn't think this. See, y'all don't turn here a lot. This is not the scriptures that we post when we post this on social media, right? We post, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's talking to his lady. And look, listen, if we talk to our wives the way that he's talking to his wife right now, man, that might fix some things. Amen. All wives said amen. All right. Verse number two, he says, your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. I'll let Scott explain that part. Your (laughs) belly, your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. He's speaking to her fertility, right? Verse three says, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. It's sleek. It's long. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bat Rabin. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon. I guess it was a, it was a compliment to say that someone's nose looked like a tower. But he says your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in his tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree. Y'all see, he started at the sandals, right? This is how simple it is. It starts simple. I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Now, I want you to know, usually when you look in the Old Testament literature, when they're talking about fruit, they're talking about the action of sex in, in, in most cases, right? I'm going to climb that tree, lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breast be like the clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples in your mouth, like the best wine. This right here is beautiful, Right? This is beautiful because whenever there is a good relationship of sex within the confines of marriage, it's beautiful. Sex is sacred, just like marriage is sacred. God has made this thing, and no one should go about the business of changing it, right, or altering it, or making it into something that God did not make it for. God made this for procreation and also for enjoyment within marriage. Sex is also like fire. When it's contained, it's a beautiful thing. When it's within the confines of a marriage, it's a beautiful thing. And I have to say this in 2020, when it's in the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman, it's a beautiful thing. Right? It's just like when you go to that, uh, that smell good store and buy those candles that are in the glass. And you use that fire to light that candle, and it just fills the whole house up. That's what sex is in marriage. Sex outside of marriage is like getting a heap of wood in the the drought of Texas and throwing it into a field, throwing some gasoline on it, and tossing a match and saying, let's see what happens. And all of a sudden, neighborhoods are on fire. People's lives are ruined. It starts simple. Now, as I get into this text on this morning, men, I want you to know, and you'll see this as we go through it, and I'll talk about it a little bit. It's not a sin to notice beauty. But when you start figuring out how to try to climb that tree, 
That's where the sin happens. He started at the sandals. And in his mind, he climbed that tree. Men, you may even find that you in your past have stared at fruits that wasn't on your tree. But when you begin to imbibe and figure out ways to climb, that's where the trouble happens. It's not just the action, but it's the heart. It starts there, at the heart. So turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and get away from Song of Solomon so you don't burn your hands. All right? Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. We're going to read that text in its entirety first. The Bible says, you have heard that it was said. Can we say you have heard? heard. Jesus is saying you, you might be familiar with this way. He says, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus gets a little extreme here. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Can we say tear it out? out. If you're at home and you're watching online, type in tear it out in the chat. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and don't just keep it, but throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better. Can we say it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell? The next verse says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I want to start off by pointing out what Jesus is talking about, what was, okay? He's talking about what was. In verse number 27, he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, Jesus, is a, this is a callback to what they were all familiar with and what we know of as the book of Exodus, right? Exodus chapter 20, verse number 14, the Bible says, you shall not commit adultery, right? In the Hebrew, it reads like caveman talk, not commit adultery. It's three words there, right? Adultery, not good. Don't have sex with someone who is not your wife. Jesus said, you've heard this saying. And when you looked at their culture, their culture had turned into something where it was a whole bunch of do's, 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 do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. And all of a sudden, the people who were supposed to belong to God, they had forgotten that this was also a hard thing. But Jesus said, you've heard, do not commit adultery. And then Jesus starts talking about, okay, you heard this, but let me tell you about what is now. Because right now you have an authority figure speaking before you. How many of us would say that Jesus is intelligent? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. How many of us say, uh, would say that Jesus is actually the son of God? How, how many of us would say that Jesus is an actual authority figure? We love to call him Savior. But we must also recognize him as Lord. 
And that means he gets to tell us what to do. Amen. It's hard sometimes, but he tells us what to do. Verse number 28, he says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the sin is not in the look, right? The sin is the type of look. You see, we're lucky. In English, we have different type of looks, right? Uh, when, when, you're, when you're walking around randomly in a store and someone glances at you, you think nothing of it, right? But if somebody takes their glasses off and they squint their eyes and they're just staring at you, that's a different type of look, right? He says, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent, that, that is someone who has said, hey, that's, that's some nice shoes or, or she has a beautiful face right? That's a look. That's a glance, right? But when someone starts saying, I see the fruit and I'm going to figure out how to climb that tree. I'm making plans to get to the top of that tree. That's when you start looking with lustful intent, right? A lot of us have been guilty of this. And I want you to see this too. Because I would would used to handle this text, and I would say something to the effect of, okay, women, now now men have been told not to uh, uh, look look at a woman with lust, but we can't walk around with half-peeled fruit either, right? But Jesus doesn't really, he he doesn't address the woman here. And I start thinking, why didn't Jesus talk to the women here? He didn't have a problem talking to women. Although it was looked down upon in their culture, he didn't have a problem with this, so why didn't he address it here? And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, throughout history, who's had the problem with mishandling sex? Who's had a big problem with mishandling sex? Men. In their culture, they would make their single women not uh, walk around uncovered. They would make their women uh, married women walk around with covered heads so as not to tempt people and move their hearts toward this lustful thing. And all the time we put this, this, this responsibility on women, hey, make sure that you don't look this way so that you don't make us men sin. It sounds silly when you say it out loud, huh? Don't make me do what I'm responsible for doing. Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. When you look at the covenant that is marriage, you say to a man or to a woman, I pledge to spend my whole life with you. All of me is yours. Right? We make this promise before God and we betray that promise and that covenant. That's a powerful thing. It hurts the body. It hurts the spirit. Some of us have been victims of it. Right? Some of us have victimized others. Jesus is saying, you thought that what my father wanted was action-based, but he's concerned about what's in your heart. 
You see, a lot of us, we have fallen into the lie that lust doesn't hurt anyone. This is something that I do when I'm alone. And our culture has perverted this thing to where it's so easily accessible. Lust. And it starts off so simple. It starts off so simple. It starts off with a look. There was a young man who, when he came to elementary school, one of his friends brought a a, a Playboy magazine took it from his brother, he had it in his locker, and this young man, he looked at it. And he lusted in his heart. Simple glance. Thought it was nothing. This grew into something bigger. It grew into, okay, I saw the picture. Now, late nights, I'm telling the dial-up internet to shh. Where he's trying to download more pictures. Internet used to have a sound, right? And then he's looking at videos that he shouldn't look at. And then he's seeing women the same way as they are portrayed in these fake, lying images and videos. And all of a sudden, women become objects. And all of a sudden, this young man who was a little boy who glanced at a picture is now fornicating. This young man is also a Christian. And so he knows in his heart that what he does is wrong, but he's been doing it for so long. And whenever he wants to stop, there's a little voice. And I heard this. I had a chance to go and observe an AA meeting this week for school. And I heard the same thing. There's a voice that's calling, hey, you need this in your life. You feel uneasy if you don't have this thing in your life called lust. You fall into the practice and you fornicate and you sin against yourself and you sin against the one that you will one day marry and love with all of your heart. You you wish that you'd never done those things that you did. This young man continued to sin over and over again, always being repentant in his heart, always being troubled in his heart until one day, He felt funny. He found out that he had sexually transmitted disease. He felt shame in his heart. He couldn't face the fact. He couldn't even talk to the elders at his church because he felt like he wouldn't be welcome there anymore. So he lived with it for a long time and it got worse. By the time he he mustered up the courage to go, it was at at his worst And he spoke with the doctor, and the doctor talks to him. He tells him, look, you've waited so long, I don't know if you'll be able to have children. It's done that much damage. You've waited around so long. And the young man felt shame. The young man would also have a wake-up, come-to-Jesus moment in his life, and he, he, he decided that he would do right by God. He decided that he would fix the wrongs in his life, even though he can't. But he decided he would give it a shot. 
And this young man, he, he, he decides to get someone who can go to and say, hey, I need to be held accountable because I can't control myself all the time. This man, young man finds a friend who he can confide in, who will call him and hold him accountable, make sure that his lust is not going over the deep end. This young man would later on be married. And he would find a woman that he would love with all of his heart, a woman that he wanted to spend the rest of his life with. And when they tried to have children, it didn't happen. And when they tried to have children, again, it didn't happen. And here he is having to look at the woman that he loves and tell her, it's probably me. Based on the lust that began so long ago. And that young man is me. God would eventually say yes to the children, right? Now we got too many. <laughs> but that, that young man was me. And as science has found, when you begin to look at pornographic images, it will rewire your brain. It changes your heart. And I know that in this time that they had not figured this out. But Jesus is telling them, you have to protect your heart because if you don't, it's going to change the person that you are. It's going to make you see other human beings as objects and not really as people. And that becomes really important to you when you have four daughters. And you don't want those daughters to be looked at the same way that you used to look at women. And you don't want people to look at your wife the same way that you used to look at women. Jesus is saying, don't climb that tree. Don't climb that tree. And he, he goes so, so hard into this. In verse number 29, he says this. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. He's saying, I need you to take the input device and I need you to get rid of it. And you need to do it with haste. If you have a problem with pornography, you see, it used to be where you just find one of your dumb friends and tell them to go swipe one at the corner store, right? But it's so easily accessible now. It's free. And we give our children these smartphones, and they are open to everything that the world has to present to them. And it starts off with some normal stuff, but you will find that the perversion grows stronger. It's just like drugs. It's just like drugs. You might start off with marijuana, but you could end up with crack or meth. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Listen, if the phone is the thing, the input device that's causing you to lust, you might have to go from a smartphone to a dumb phone. You might, have to, you might have to do it. You might have to go get a jitterbug because, you know what, my relationship with God is more important than my lust. If I have to lose this thing that is beneficial and essential now, just so I can be right in the kingdom, then I'll do that thing. If, if the Internet is your weakness and you, you find yourself typing things into search engines and clicking on articles and reading stories on Facebook, look, you might have to get rid of your social media account. 
If you find that there's a coworker at your job, a man or a woman who's a little bit too friendly, and you know that your spouse would not be happy with you get engaging in the conversation that you do, you might have to cut off that relationship. You have to be willing to do some drastic things to protect your heart. You got to do some drastic things. Jesus says, cut that eye out and throw it away. And we know that this isn't a literal thing because if that was a literal thing and all we had to do was get rid of an eye, we have some one-eyed, lusting people out here. They be putting that one eye to work. It's much more than getting rid of that thing. it's, It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. He says, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. That that Gehenna word that Scott talked about, where they threw the trash, right? Trash is not, well, some of us like to make things out of trash. I know that, right? We'll go and we'll we'll repurpose things. But most times, trash is worthless. And I don't want to be seen as worthless in the eyes of God. Next verse says, he goes and he, he says, that, that if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus saying, nip it in the bud. Nip it at the bud. Get rid of it when it's small. Because it's a booger whenever it starts to mature. And we see this in how sin works. If you look at James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, the Bible begins to talk about sin, and it talks about how sin starts. Sin doesn't just jump on our backs and and get us, right? Sin starts with the desire. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then, right, a desire. There's nothing wrong with desiring things, right? Then desire, when it has conceived... You cannot have conception without action. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin is nothing to be played with. You don't handle it to see how how long you can hold it. Sin is not a hot potato. Don't pick it up at all. If you can help it, don't pick it up at all. I'm speaking from experience. I'm speaking from someone who sit, who sat in the room with tears in their eyes saying, God, I don't want to do the things that I'm doing. I don't want to think like I think, but I just feel like it's a part of me. Don't do it. It will mess your heart up. Don't climb that tree. Jesus he again begins to speak. He moves and changes topic. He starts talking about adultery and, and divorce. Jesus says in verse number 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit Did I read the wrong one? No, wait, wait. It is also said, I'm sorry, what was? Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. You see, all they had to do, right? All they had to do, write this down. You can go home and check it out. Deuteronomy 24.1, or we can look at it here. I think I have it on there, right? 
Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and, and, and that's just talking about how things worked, right? And what happened was, as, just as we do with a lot of things, we, we start abusing things, right? So it could be a woman might burn the beans, and here's your certificate of divorce. See you later, right? And this was the type of thing that they began to take advantage of. And if you look at this, it took me a while. I don't know why it took so long to see this, but if you look at their culture, women were not valued. So when Paul is speaking, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male or f- he's saying something profound because that was not normal, right? That's what was. Just imagine you being a wife. And even though it's supposed to be about indecency because that word points to or alludes to adultery, he doesn't like something that you do and you might get handed a certificate of divorce and all of a sudden, see you later. You didn't have a lot of Madam C.J. Walkers and Martha Stewart's back then. You didn't have any. They relied and were supported by the men. If a man gives you a certificate of divorce, you're, you're... stuck out. Verse 32. This is what Jesus says. This is what it's going to be. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality. Now I know that the world will have a lot to say about this. But didn't we agree that Jesus was intelligent, authority figure, and the son of God? The world will tell you whenever you have irreconcilable differences, divorce. When she stops looking the way that she did whenever you were young, divorce. When his gut starts hanging over the belt, divorce. When he upsets you, divorce. That's what the world is saying. Jesus says this, right? Sexual immorality. That's why we got to take it serious. When, we, when we're talking about marrying someone, you need to make sure that you're sure. All right? Make sure that you're sure because things change when you say, I do. I know that you don't want to say amen because you're sitting next to them. <laughs> but things change when you say, I do. And you have to make sure. Look, this love thing It's not something that jumps on you and affects you either. Love, loving someone is a choice. I make a choice to love my wife. She makes a choice to love me. No matter how tempting it may be to get rid of me. It's a choice. And then even with that, if you look at this verse here, go back to that verse If you look at that verse, it doesn't say anywhere that if it does happen, you have to be divorced. There are some people who are able and willing to forgive if sexual immorality occurs within a marriage. Yeah. It doesn't say you have to get divorced if there's sexual immorality. Because guess what? 
We make mistakes. But the thing is, is that we usually rank fornication and adultery as sin one. When sin is sin. That lie you told when you told your husband that the pants weren't too tight? Sin is sin. When you was driving 90 on 35 to get here, you broke the law. Sin is sin. No ranking of sin, right? Except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Jesus is saying, if you do this without her committing adultery and then she goes on, you cause her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery as well. Wow. Men, we have a lot of responsibility, don't we? There's a lot on us. Now, that's not to say that that women are, are excused from this scenario. Paul has something to say about how we belong to each other. Jesus speaks more about divorce. Scott will speak more about divorce, Lord willing, next week. Look at Matthew chapter 19. But here, what I see when I'm looking at this text and how close it is to this lust piece, what I'm seeing is, is that men have the responsibility to control themselves, to have self-control. Look at our, look at our culture right now. Look at, look at Weinstein. Look at Bill Cosby. Think about the careers that they had before we found out that they saw women as objects. Right? Think about that. And think about how if you have an influence for God in his kingdom, and then it comes to be found out that you don't value other people, and you see them as objects, think about the effect that has in the kingdom. This is what I found as I'm looking at this book by Randy Harris. And this is my conclusion. I won't make you feel awkward anymore today. (laughs) In the book, Living Jesus by Randy Harris, he shares an idea. uh, It's by Sheldon Van Nuken. I think I'm saying that name right. In which he says, when you get a brand new car, you should also go get a hammer. You take that hammer, you go out, and you put the first dent in the brand new car yourself. Then you're not afraid to use it anymore. That way, you don't have to park at the end of the parking lot to protect the, from door dings because you have already put the first dent in it yourself. Now, he also goes on to say this. Things are not to be loved. They are to be used. Right? When we think about objects, they're not to be loved, but they are to be used. Now, the corollary to this is that people are not to be used. They're to be loved. And as I'm preaching this sermon to myself while I'm studying this week, I had to go ask my wife, do I make you feel like an object? Do I make you feel like an object? And I'll be honest with you, she didn't answer right away, which that told me I got some work to do. And maybe we all have some work to do. As men, 
Because just imagine, as we're thinking along the lines of healing our land, just imagine if we as Christian men start to see women as people, right? Not a tree. Not a tree to be climbed. If we change the way that we see women, maybe we can change the way we see women. Right? If our perception of women is different and they're not objects to be conquered, trees to be climbed, maybe the world can look at their world and say, I want to be a part of that nation. I want to be a part of that group of people because that's different than what I see. Christians should not be afraid of council culture. Right? That's my message today. Hopefully I didn't offend, but if I did, send an email to Scott. Okay. If you're in this in this boat right now to where you're struggling with this lust, and I will tell you it's a struggle, I want you to know that you're not alone. I, I wanted to share my story because whenever I was struggling in this thing, I didn't hear anybody who wore a suit and tie talk about their struggle. And I know that there's more men that struggle with lust than they are who told me about it. I want to let you know I struggle with that. And if you're struggling with it, I want you to know that God can help you to get through it. I want you to know that God can help you to overcome that little voice that keeps whispering in your ear telling you that you need that. God's voice is more powerful and more loud than that voice. But you got to give him a try. I also want to let you know that just because you get married does not mean that that lust thing is going to go away. Handle lust before you get married or it's going to handle you. Amen. If you're a Christian this morning and you need, you stand in need of prayer, uh, we have a way to submit prayer requests. If you need someone to come and pray with you, we have that ability to do that as well. If you're not a Christian on this morning and you struggle with this lust thing and you struggle with sex and you struggle with these thoughts of adultery and you're in the midst of adultery right now in your marriage, I need you to understand that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit within us and God can help us get through this. But you got you to come to Jesus. You got to come to Jesus. That's my message for today. Oh, he's good. Uh, they're good. Send a text. Ask for prayers. If you want to respond on this morning as we sing the song of invitation.